0: Awesome. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for coming to the MetaGov seminar. Um, I'm really excited today to introduce Christina Pan. Um, so I met Christina when I was a postdoc at Stanford and Christina was uh, an undergrad taking, uh, what what class was it? Like a HCI research class, I think, with Michael? Yeah, you're spot on. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> an HCI research class with Michael Bernstein um, where um, the kind of project from the class was uh, inspired from some of the prior work that I'd done in digital juries and then uh, actually continued well beyond the class, like like a year plus after the class and, and turned into this full-fledged research project that um, has been really, really interesting to, to look at the findings. And, and in fact, uh, Christina presented this to um, the folks at Facebook I think, um, several months ago or, or almost a year ago, I don't remember now, but um, where people there were like, oh, yes, we read this internally. And like, it's super interesting. And like, um, the findings are really resonant with um, some of the things we're finding. So that was really interesting to see. Um, and I guess I'll just let Christina take it away and tell us about this project. Absolutely.
1: Well, as I mentioned, probably ad nauseum, you know, thanks again for having me. So pretty much with this talk, I'm going to be talking about how our study investigating how to better understand um, which moderation systems the public views as the most legitimate. And so as a example, really, to get, you know, our brains going, um, the Supreme Court has made controversial decisions before, but has historically maintained a reservoir of goodwill. So an example of this is that in 1982, the Canadian Supreme Court added the Charter of Rights and Freedoms to the Canadian Constitution, which increased the Supreme Court's power to intervene in policy. While the move was controversial at the time, in the long term, the Canadian Supreme Court was able to maintain strong support from the Canadian public. And so this suggests that these courts benefit from a reservoir of goodwill that, um, is essentially considered to form the foundation of legitimacy as postulated by political science professor James Gibson. When online platforms try to make similarly controversial decisions, we see that they don't benefit from this reservoir of goodwill. So for instance, according to a poll by the Cato Institute and YouGov, 75% of Americans don't trust social media to make fair content moderation decisions. And this same poll actually found that 60% of Americans want more control over the posts they see. In addition, another poll um, done by the Pew Research Center found that 73% of adults believe that social media platforms are likely to censor political viewpoints that they find objectionable. And this belief was common across Americans of all political leanings. So naturally, there's a question of, Why is it that social media platforms don't get the same reservoir of goodwill compared to um, courts such as the Canadian Supreme Court? And so scholarship has suggested that these issues are symptoms of a lack of perceived legitimacy in um, content moderation systems and online platforms. And so there are a lot of types of legitimacy. In this um, talk, we're going to be focusing on perceived legitimacy, which is defined as the acceptance of authority by those who are subject to it. Perceived legitimacy is important because we have empirical studies showing that institutions with high amounts of perceived legitimacy had greater acceptance of unpopular decisions, more cooperation, and more compliance in the long term. Now, how exactly does one calculate perceived legitimacy? In our survey, we calculated it from five aspects. First off, there's outcome satisfaction. Then there's trustworthiness of the process involved fairness and impartiality of the process in question, institutional commitment, and then finally, decisional jurisdiction. Some of these terms may be new, so i want to explain uh, some of the more novel ones. So first off, outcome satisfaction is the extent to which the poly or the participant or the respondent is satisfied with the way that the moderation process handled the decision. Institutional commitment is defined as the extent to which the participant wants the process to continue making <clears throat> um, such decisions, and then finally, we have decisional jurisdiction, which is the extent to which the poly wants the process to maintain its scope of decision-making powers. So for instance, low decisional jurisdiction means that the poly wants the process to make decisions with smaller impact. In some ways, you can think of it as demoting the process. Um, on the slide here, essentially below each of the five aspects are the statements that we asked to assess the aspect for legitimacy within the survey. All right, so before we continue down in this presentation, um, we'll do a brief snapshot of what we'll be discussing for the rest of it. So first of all, you know, as a high level, we investigated which moderation systems the public views as most legitimate. And so how did we do this? We conducted a within subjects experiment that measured the perceived legitimacy in the context of randomized moderation decisions. Our findings are twofold. First off, expert panels have the highest legitimacy. And second, the agreement with the decision played a larger role than the process itself in determining perceived legitimacy. So taking a step back, um, let's talk about which moderation processes we investigated. So we analyzed four content moderation processes and they represent both conventional as well as emerging solutions of content moderation. Um, Pretty much paid contractors and algorithms represent conventional methods while the expert panel and digital jury are emerging solutions that were designed with the intent of building greater legitimacy. Um, With regards to what we were investigating, we were investigating two research questions. First off, how does the type of moderation process impact the perceived legitimacy of content moderation? And second of all, how does the outcome alignment of a moderation decision with personal beliefs impact perceived legitimacy of the moderation process. Now let's talk about our hypotheses involving the process. We hypothesize that the digital jury would be perceived as the most legitimate moderation process and then that it would be followed by the expert panels, then by the algorithm and then finally the paid contractor. This comes from the fact that digital juries and expert panels have more independence from platforms and independence has been correlated with perceived legitimacy. In addition, digital juries strongly embody the concept of democratic representation, which contributes to higher democratic legitimacy. And then finally, prior work shows that overall, algorithms are perceived to be more trustworthy than humans. Now, with regards to outcome alignment, we hypothesized that the decisions that align with users' beliefs would be perceived as more legitimate And so this comes from a whole slew of research um, that kind of summarized really to show that confirmation biases can motivate reasoning, and then humans have other cognitive biases that are strongly mediated by partisan identification. All right, so now let's move on to study design. So with our study, we surveyed 100 US-based Facebook users and that we sourced from Amazon Mechanical Turk. Here we have a little bit in terms of their demographics. Overall, in terms of political leaning and uh, gender, they were more or less evenly spread um, with uh, essentially kind of independent um, participants being a little bit overrepresented as well as gender skewing a little bit more female. In addition, we have some more demographic uh, information. So here we have age as well as education. And so the age is relatively even, although um, the 18 to 24-year-old segment is a little bit underrepresented. And then with regards to education, um, education skewed a little bit more highly educated than the general US population. Now, um, with regards to this survey design, what we did is that we conducted a within-subjects experiment where we showed participants a selection of real Facebook posts that were matched with a randomly selected moderation process. So one of the four that I talked about earlier, as well as a randomly selected moderation outcome. So whether or not the post was left up or taken down. The posts that were shown were real Facebook posts and they were selected for potentially violating either the hate speech, incitement to violence or misinformation on sections of Facebook's community standards. However, we don't know whether or not there was a moderation decision Um, made by Facebook, and if so, you know, whether or not the posts are left up or taken down. Now, to give a little bit more color to this very broad and abstract stroke that I had talked about um, in the previous slide, we're going to show an example from our survey. So over on the left here, we have a post, and then the participant was asked whether or not they believe the post should be left up or taken down. After that, the um, participants were then presented with a moderation decision made by a ma- random moderation process. And then they were asked a series of questions about how they felt about that decision. And so this is essentially how they feel about it. <clears throat> and then finally, um, participants for the individual post were asked to write the moderation process on fairness, impartiality, and trustworthiness. After showing all of the moderation processes um, through different posts, at the end of the survey, um, the participants were asked essentially comparative questions about their perceptions of the four moderation processes. These comparative questions are listed right here. And they are really summarized in terms of you know, which moderation is the mo- sorry, which moderation process is the most trusted, least trusted, most fair, and uh, least fair. Now let's go into analysis and findings. So overall, we analyzed the survey responses we collected with a linear mixed effects model. This model estimated the perceived legitimacy using process, outcome alignment, gender, and political affiliation as explanatory variables. We also corroborated our quantitative results with qualitative analysis of the free response questions that I had just shown in the earlier slide um, where we asked the participants to compare the different types of processes. Overall, our findings indicate that the expert panels benefited from greater perceived legitimacy compared to other processes. And so this is shown with the quantitative model, as you can see highlighted blue, as well as supported by qualitative feedback given by participants through the free responses. With regards to outcome alignment, we saw that outcome alignment, i.e. whether or not the participant agreed with the moderation decision was an even stronger factor then the moderation process itself in determining perceived legitimacy. This becomes really evident when we overlay essentially the effect of process outcome alignment on a graph over the process effects. And so this is the blue showing the um, outcome preference alignment. And overall, we saw that outcome preference alignment was responsible for 27% of the observed variation in perceived legitimacy. Now for some other findings, um, we saw that participants strongly preferred um, group decision-making to decisions made by individual moderators, as we saw that either that 42% of respondents expressed that either you know, a single person makes more biased decisions or multiple people can help mitigate bias, which effectively is um, essentially two sides of the same coin. With regards to another finding, we also saw that Algorithms were not seen as an adequate substitute for human moderators, even though they were considered very impartial. You can see this with regards to the percentage of participants that rated the algorithm as the most impartial. You know, it beats the rest by a lot with 51%. Um, However, we saw that a third of respondents considered the algorithm to be the most untrustworthy process. And so a really good quote that was shared by a participant was that the least trustworthy would likely be the algorithm due to the complex nature, nuance, and context of the the human language. Algorithms cannot navigate the complexity and subtleties of our communication. Now let's move on to discussion. Overall, it seems that mistrust of peers appear to override the democratic benefits of digital juries for our participants. At the same time, trust can be created or lost at many points along the way, since there are many factors such as jury composition that may lead to greater or lesser trust. And we've also seen this in um, previous works, such as work investigating, um, you know, effectively digital juries in um, situations such as League of Legends. In addition, um, perceived legitimacy is vulnerable to a lack of understanding of the processes involved, as well as misconceptions about them. And so here we have two quotes essentially asking about what exactly are we assessing and showing a lack of understanding of what the processes entail. Finally, in a polarized environment, it can be extremely difficult to create broad legitimacy for any moderation process because strongly held beliefs may place a cap on perceived legitimacy. It's also important to note that these beliefs can be shaped by many factors that include community norms, individual experience, in-group versus out-group dynamics, and finally, prevailing political discourse. So now let's talk about some more novel recommendations. Um, First of all, we saw that perceived legitimacy is vulnerable to misconceptions or lack of understanding, and thus explaining decisions can help improve feelings of legitimacy in part through outcome alignment. Let's see. And so these ideas have been surfaced before um, in other research such as um, research by law professor Tom Tyler. And so examples of explanatory variables can include additional context. For instance, what were the facts that were considered? Who made the decision? As well as why the decision was made in a particular manner. Our second recommendation um, comes from the fact that beliefs are shaped by individual experiences. We saw that survey participants often justify their belief in the trustworthiness of a process based on examples from the survey. Thus, platforms should create or highlight positive experiences with content moderation. And ideally, this should be done at an individual level. So to put some more color into the suge- suggestion, since I imagine it could be quite abstract, let's dive into an example. So imagine a user is dissatisfied with the content moderation system, such as you know, the user had one of their posts taken down, or they were interacting with a post of someone um, who has had their <clears throat> t- uh, post taken down. And then in this scenario, platforms could show users examples where the user is likely to agree, such as providing uncontroversial examples of posts removed. This could then help the user build trust by seeing the moderation system working well and showing that the moderation system is not necessarily biased against that user and their viewpoint. Um, In addition, another example is that there has been other work that's recently come out um, involving end user audits, where essentially after the end user went through examples, um, essentially moderated by a particular algorithm, they came out with uh, a feeling of actually higher trust in the algorithm. Now let's talk about um, future work. So there are a lot of areas that can be investigated further. Um, And so I would say they really fall into four categories. The first category is about investigation of uh, other types of processes. As you may recall, we only investigated four types of moderation processes. And so one type that was not included in this investigation um, was essentially community moderation. In addition to that, in real life, uh, moderation processes are not just, we have an expert panel and the expert panel is the one that decides whether or not this post is taken up or down but they are involve essentially tiered set of processes for instance starting out with an algorithm then it's um essentially then followed up by like an individual moderator etc and so um, we didn't investigate those types of processes and it is worth investigating whether or not um you know these changes you know affect essentially the results Second, we also saw um, that in the literature, political affiliation and political debate should have an impact on perceived legitimacy. However, we didn't see essentially anything statistically significant in our study. And so there should be in further investigation to see the impact of these two um, variables with regards to perceived legitimacy. Um, Then in terms of the third one, we have essentially there should be further work investigating um, how to further incorporate expertise into content moderation, um, because at the end of the day, expertise is something that does provide greater legitimacy, but there are also practical considerations to take into account. And so this also does tie into a little bit with regards to the first um, set of areas that could be investigated further, um, really with regards to the tiered processes. And then finally, there is essentially open an open area to investigate kind of ways to increase outcome alignment um, that therefore increases perceived legitimacy, um, and so that's essentially very much tied to the recommendations I had talked about a little bit earlier. All right, so ultimately, um, and we our study investigated which moderation systems the public views as the most legitimate, and we found that. <clears throat> First of all, experts have the highest legitimacy, and then in addition to that, agreement with the decision plays a larger role than the process itself in determining legitimacy. And from that, we recommend that platforms incorporate more transparency, create or highlight um, positive content moderation experiences, and also continue to visibly incorporate expertise into content moderation. Well, thank you for listening, and what questions do you have for me?
0: Awesome, thank you. Um, let's move on to questions. So uh, please post your questions and comments in the meeting chat. Um, and then I can call on you, or you can raise your hand here. Um, I see first that there's a question by Isaac. Uh, did you want to ask your question aloud?
2: Hey, I wouldn't mind doing that. Um... Yeah, so this, this came earlier,
3: earlier in the presentation. I think there was just a brief line saying, uh, algorithms uh, have uh, higher perceived legitimacy. And then later on, you give the table where uh, you're breaking that down. They might have, they uh, have both uh, higher uh, legitimacy, but also lower, uh, I don't know if the category was lower trust. And a, a third of, of the, of the, of the participants did not trust them at all. So I was just wondering, how do you navigate that? How do you navigate the fact that, uh, cause especially because there was that comment earlier that algorithms have the highest legitimacy. How do you deal with the fact that uh, people are not trusted, uh, but, you, but also more people do not trust algorithms? So that was a bit confusing.
1: I see, so I think maybe, um just to make sure we're on the same page are you thinking of let's see where's the algorithm one this slide
3: uh no before this before this okay
1: how about i go forward and so just let me know which slide you were you got that question from i think i think it was back in the hypotheses section actually oh i see okay yeah so essentially the this Slide showed our hypotheses,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and yes, so this, the,
2: the last line. The last line.
1: Yes, and so essentially, this is a <laughs> this is a very broad um, statement. But really, what we saw in the literature is that, depending on the context, algorithms can be perceived as more trustworthy than humans. Um, And so there are other contexts in which algorithms are perceived as less trustworthy than humans. And so one of the things that we were looking to get out of this um, was essentially to see kind of which of the two areas do algorithms kind of fall into with regards to content um, moderation. So an example of where an algorithm was perceived to be less trustworthy um, than a human in the previous literature, was there was essentially um in a situation where an algorithm essentially had to have a conversation um with the human and then they were being rated on how trustworthy they were. and so the algorithm, for instance, in that case, um was perceived to be less trustworthy. Does that make sense?
2: I follow I follow so far. Mm-hmm. okay.
1: Let's see. Also, um, Amy, let's see, you you had a comment here. So my hunch slash understanding is that if you pull the general user base of social media, they're more inclined to take down content than expert or paid moderators. How does this square with the goal of increasing outcome alignment?
0: Yeah, and I can um mm-hmm. explain my question my question a little bit more. Um so so I don't know that this has been like studied systematically but this is my impression after running my own studies and talking with users is that um people if you just like ask people like should this should this random like thing that was kind of borderline be taken down or not people are much more inclined to be like oh yeah like that's harmful or like oh yeah like i don't want to see that on my feed like i i'll just take it down um whereas i think if you if you post it to a, a paid moderator who is kind of following a set of community standards that um, is kind of walking this tight line, or if you send it to like the Facebook you know, oversight board, um, they have uh, in in their cases been much more on the side of like keeping things up um, that, that they're, they're much more sensitive to these issues of like free speech and um, yeah. And um, the, the importance of that. So I guess I wonder if you are focused on outcome alignment, so basically reflecting the majoritarian desires of a user base, um, might that lead to a lot more content being taken down? And is that, do you think that would be okay or not
1: okay? Yeah, so this is a great question. I, I think kind of within it, you know, the base of the question is really this understanding that the general user base is more inclined to take down content and, this may this may be the case with regards to the majority. At the same time, there is a pretty vocal minority, and we saw this in the free response, um, where essentially people would have this opinion of, you know, we can't take this down because I support like free speech. And so um, I think quite frankly, this is one of the tensions of essentially <clears throat> outcome alignment because you know, especially with regards to, controversial, um, you know, posts, naturally, you're going to have two sides that have very different opinions with regards to how they want this post to be treated. And so I think in the case of increasing outcome alignment, um, you know, those more controversial cases may not necessarily be a good place to do so. And so that's why um, with regards to the recommendations, I, essentially highlighted that, you know, there are less controversial, um, you know, decisions that are being made. And so you could potentially essentially increase the perceived legitimacy by kind of highlighting those cases so that, you know, people don't walk out with the perception of, oh, you know, this moderation process is always against a particular, you know, point of view or is always biased. Does that make sense? So
0: what you're saying is that we should have a general goal of being reflective of the majority opinions of the user base aka increasing outcome alignment but that there are these kind of like minority viewpoints that you think should override that in certain cases or um based on some kind of like standard regarding um uh like speech rights or or Something like
1: that. Uh, Not quite. I, I think really your question at the end of the day very much highlights like essentially the, let's see, trying to find the slide here. The point that at the end of the day, oh no, I went too far, sorry. Trying to multitask here. Essentially the, the strongly held beliefs can place a cap on perceived legitimacy. And so there's, all, there's, a, there's only so much that you can do with regards to outcome alignment. And so essentially I was trying to highlight that there are other areas that are a little bit easier, um, for instance, like less controversial areas that you could essentially try to increase outcome alignment there um, to essentially affect the overall perceived legitimacy. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, I was just
0: responding to the earlier part where you were mentioning um, my, some minorities might have mm-hmm. strong views on free speech. Um, so, in that case, you might not necessarily want to go with the majority perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let, but I, I don't want to rabbit hole too much. Um, I saw that Bobby has a question. Um, did you want to ask it?
4: yeah thanks Amy and um, congrats Christina this is just really fascinating extensive work uh conducting this uh really extensive experiments um yeah really cool work and I'm excited to read the whole paper and I was curious uh with regards to exactly on these slides you have community norms and I was wondering uh in practice like accounting for the complexities and potential controversies within community standards norm and policies and how this affects Uh, the work that uh, the content uh, moderation contractors, right, the juries and uh, the algorithmic content moderation and the panel are doing, right? Because how do we account for these different kinds of community norms in the process of measuring legitimacy? Uh, And for example, I'm reminded of when I was working in content moderation, I remember there were like maybe more than 40 different kinds of uh, harm, right? And you mentioned here, I think bullying or harassment and terrorism and violence and incitement in terms of like what you focused on, but I'm wondering about, can you overlay the different categories of um, kind of policy violation uh, with this uh, perception of legitimacy, right? And in this way, sort of contextualize legitimacy in the context of the particular violation of a policy or kind of harm that people are experiencing?
2: Okay,
1: sorry, so I'm not sure I quite got the question.
4: Like, I'm wondering, how do we account for the uh, potential controversies in the, I guess, the mechanisms that govern how content is taken down? Right?
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's see. Like the actual policies, new properties
1: from Yeah, I think that this, how do I put it? This in some ways ties to the point I make about um, incorporating more transparency into the process because, you know, with regards to social media. Um, content moderation, there have been a lot of controversies. And so, essentially, by being transparent with regards to, you know, we've seen historically, if you do X, then, you know, we've had this reaction, and therefore taking it into account, um, can of actually be a way to essentially show that, <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, um, the there's a lot of work going on to essentially key to walk that fine line with regards to content moderation and so I think in some ways you know especially if the user base is well aware of particular um, controversies it could be a way to actually increase um, perceived legitimacy does that make sense like there's there's an opportunity there although you know it is a very tight line
4: and maybe I'm wondering if legitimacy, um, could be higher in some kind of let's say misinformation mm-hmm. versus bullying a harassment right versus mm-hmm. right like in if if it makes sense to kind of look at it in this sort of contextual level and then the particular sort of community standards that how do they impact the perceived legitimacy.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's a that's a great point. Um, I think at this point in time, especially with regards to the types of moderation processes and also investigated Facebook, where there's not a strong um, distinction between the types of harm um, when you're just like kind of going through Facebook on a day-to-day basis, that there is a lot of muddling. And so I, I do... I, I'm inclined to agree with your hypothesis that if you were to try to split things up, like for instance, with regards to misinformation or um, for instance, uh, like incitement to violence, that you know you can see different essentially sets of perceived legitimacy kind of factored on those different um, cases.
4: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um... Mm-hmm. Um, Related
0: to your question, Bobby, this made me think, I I have another project where we're trying to bring in the idea of like case law to, to content moderation. um, Because, you know, I, I think you bring up a really good point that like with policies, especially when they get to like 40 or 50 pages long, like, you know, for any content moderator to be able to understand that is really tough. And then, you know, it really, it, you could probably spend 100 pages and still not get to all the nuance that you you need um and and you know so we got inspired by like the field of in legal settings yeah. like case law right because you there you can have a measure of some some way to have legitimate or, or legitimacy but also like consistency um but it's kind of like building on prior cases um so yeah anyway just just something
1: that i thought of when you mentioned that question yeah
4: thanks well super exciting.
1: Absolutely, and also, would you like to um, talk about kind of that second uh, piece to the comment about um, essentially the the traumatized kind of co- content moderators?
4: Uh, I just shared that investigative journalism article. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen it, I think it's uh, just recently came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe perhaps that's part of the future work that you were mentioning, like, I know, considering how investigative journalism, right, could factor in um, perceived legitimacy.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: And also this um, also highlights other practical aspects that you have to consider when designing content moderation systems, Um, because, you know, not only are there factors of like, you know, how legitimate is the system being considered, but also like, you know, can you do it at the speed or at the scale that is required, as well as, you know, um, considerations such as like, you know, how do we protect the people who are involved with these processes um, so we don't like traumatize them? Um, and I I I totally resonate with regards to that because um, a lot of the posts that we went through tr- when trying to essentially get post for their survey were, were quite a bit. So, you know, I would have to like kind of walk out and just like take a break and like go like, okay, you know, that was like gnarly stuff. And, um, you know, being exposed to that, you know, on a day-to-day basis um, at such a large scale, um, naturally would have a major impact.
0: Um, c- kind of related to this question, um, I had a follow-up question which is on operationalizing this idea of experts and and expert panels. Um, Did you have any thoughts on who you think should be defined as an expert? And um, yeah, any thoughts on like what you think the general public or like people who participated in this study would consider to be experts Um, and how might How might one go about like recruiting them or having them participate in this process?
1: That's a great question. So okay, thinking back, (laughs) it's also been a while since I've seen the free response uh, raw text. Um, uh, Thinking back on the participants' responses, I think with regards to domain of expertise, there wasn't a lot really said there. There are more questions about like, what exactly does expertise mean? Um, and then there were also a lot of calls for diverse viewpoints um, with regards to kind of all of the content moderation um, processes. And so experts are included in that. Um, I would say kind of judging from other other sources of information, for instance, with regards to some of the controversies involving the uh, Facebook oversight board. um, To me, it it seems like there's a a want for a diverse set of experts. And so like, for instance, there's a lot of criticism with the Facebook oversight board with regards to how um, they come from a very legal background. And so there wasn't as much um, expertise with regards to how to prevent harm um as well um i don't think there is as much with regards to kind of experts with regards to free speech since i think that was covered with regards to the legal expertise um, yeah that's why that's my two cents with regards to it
2: i guess the follow-up I, I just wanted to post to the comment but um
3: uh it seems like by Oh, so the homunculus problem in cognitive science uh, is, a, is a critique of solutions to consciousness. One classic answer to consciousness is, oh, well, we have a little pilot and they drive us around. And so our consciousness is is like sort of somewhere else. But the problem there is like, well, what about the homunculus? Is it conscious? Like it just moves the question. And then a little bit, I, I don't mean this as a crisp, I just sort of realized um, the Use, uh, identifying expert panels kind of moves the legit, legitimacy question to to, to Amy's question: of How do you identify an expert? Uh, mm-hmm. Especially because uh, I can identify someone as an expert up until you know they say something about free speech or whatever, um, or, or
2: like up to the point I don't agree with them, and then they're no longer an expert. Um, mm-hmm. know how to solve that it sounds like in addition to identifying some kind of agreement on um larger kind of roles and values there's that has to be agreement
1: on on, yeah how to put an expert i don't know yeah it's a it's a great question um let's see i think the things that this calls to mind with regards to our exploration of the literature is that we've seen that expertise, like, uh, essentially, gets cons- uh, solidified over time. And so, with regards to essentially content moderation, because you know we're pretty early on, um, there's there are more open questions with regards to you know what does it mean to be an expert? Because, like, for instance, with like law. You know, it's pretty clear what it means to be an expert in the law. Like for instance, you know, are you a lawyer? Did you go to law school, et cetera? Um, those are kind of major indicators, but we're we're earlier on. Um, so there's there's a lot more of an open question with regards to that. But I think it's it. Yeah. go for it.
0: Oh, sorry, I was gonna say and, and there's there's been some moves within the trust and safety and content moderation space to like have greater professionalization, which I think is interesting um, and probably makes sense uh, towards this question of like lending greater legitimacy to these content moderation processes. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I agree that I think it's it's a question as to like how long that will take to be something that's like legible to people mm-hmm. um, who aren't familiar with this space compared to like glomming onto like well-known signifiers of expertise such as this person is a law professor or is a you know has some kind of degree which is basically what like the, the facebook oversight board i think yeah on when selecting their their panel
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: sorry i cut you off i didn't know if you were going to say anything else
1: no you actually got me at the end so it worked out um cool let's see also, Isaac, thank you for sharing that uh, essentially case about the Kenyan courts and meta. Okay, um, cool. Let's see. Um, all right. So I'll also just read Seth's comment here. So that's a great response, Amy, because in a way settling a on experts... Oh, sorry. If you just talked about it, that's totally cool. Um, let's see. Any other kind of questions, um, comments or things that you would like for us to discuss about?
4: Maybe a related one around trust and safety, like how (laughs) do you imagine, I don't know, for trust and safety to evolve kind of based on the work, like for trust and safety teams to incorporate it.
1: Sorry, I didn't catch the first part of the question.
4: Yeah, kind of building on what Amy was saying about the way um, thinking about the trust and safety space to Mm -hmm. this work in practice, like mm-hmm. i wonder yeah how do you imagine for i mean of course you give the recommendations here right on like how they can adopt it but i was wondering um yeah what are trusted safety teams uh, i know there was this recent conference like from their perspective like practically what do you think that could be impact within that space
1: yeah i think that you know there is a question of like you know how trust and safety teams can essentially advance this like solidification of what exactly does it mean to be an expert within kind of content the content moderation system area. I would also note that, you know there's, there's been a lot of emphasis in terms of designing content moderation systems that, you know essentially at the end of the day, you know, are as legitimate as possible um, kind of barring, consideration with regards to how much people agree with the particular um, set of decisions. And so I think there is actually room to essentially see and also kind of experiment with how you know we can essentially change how people perceive um, content moderation systems overall. And so that's why I like the recommendations I talk about creating or highlighting you know, positive content moderation experiences because um, for instance, not all uh, moderation process, that's not processes, decisions are controversial. And so being able to highlight that, hey, you know, you're, we're talking about the most controversial decisions, but look at all of the stuff that we've done that is not controversial at all. And essentially highlighting that uh, maybe <laughs> to essentially um, increase the overall legitimacy of these processes involved. Um, another thing that re- I recall is that you know before recently um the Supreme Court um, tended to make decisions and, uh, I know Amy you talk about this um this uh, worked quite a bit with regards to the decisions that the Supreme Court used to make tracked pretty well to public opinion and so that helped essentially build a base um, of goodwill um, so that you know when more controversial decisions until recently um, occurred, you know, you had that base to kind of fall
2: back to.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the U.S. Supreme Court case. Like, I think legal scholars have the opinion that because the Supreme Court is more um, uh, or, or like uh, less ideologically like um, aligned with the mm-hmm. general population of the U.S. That will start seeing decisions, and we have started to see decisions that kind of break mm-hmm. with public opinion, and yeah. whether that would then lead to a decline in kind of the perceived legitimacy of the Supreme Court.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I think what like my my take on kind of this like goodwill, this reservoir of support is that essentially. If you have something that people are disagree with once in a while it's very different than like having like a system where people are constantly saying i disagree with everything the system makes and so you know highlighting that you know there are a lot of decisions that the system has made that people agree with um could essentially change that perception um, and be able to build a little bit more of that reservoir of will.
0: Uh, if uh, mm-hmm. if there are any other questions, definitely post it in the chat. Um but um, I had another question regarding um the the future of digital juries since that's an area that interests me a lot. Um, what do you think um is kind of what like what recommendations do you have for this kind of jury based system for content moderation? Is it something that should be pursued? And if so, like under what conditions
1: do you think it could work out? Ooh, Great question. So I think a lot, ironically, compared to the expert, like, you know, what what should an expert panel have with regards to expertise? There are a lot of comments about the composition of a digital jury. And so a lot of it really stemmed, and I'll actually go to the slide since I think the quotes are quite illustrative. Um, There's a, a lot of distrust over you know, what it means to like over like the quote unquote like average or regular like Facebook user Um, and also a lot of mistrust over essentially the diversity of these panels. Um, And so kind of with regards to the diversity part, the demographics, um, essentially that led to a lot of concerns about like Oh, I'm not like the normal user. So I'm expecting that, you know, the majority um, kind of user viewpoint is going to kind of override um, any concerns from a n- minority perspective. And um, with regards to <clears throat> the selection of Facebook users, because they're just like, oh, it's just like random, like, you know, who knows what they are. Um, there, I think there is actually opportunity to highlight essentially that there is quality with regards to, you know, the users that are selected. And so, for instance, kind of bringing in ideas of like reputation systems, you know, how often is a Facebook user kind of involved, you know, the the size of the um, group could potentially, you know, help make it essentially help those democratic benefits of digital juries um be more apparent and less weighed down by the mistrust of like the peers within um kind of online communities overall does that make sense
0: yeah and i guess i'll point out that you know juries as they are implemented in the us Mm -hmm. um, legal system they're they're not Randomly selected from across the entire U.S. population, there's mm-hmm. kind of some kind of localization that's happening there. In that these are closer to your peers because they live in the same jurisdiction as you, and mm-hmm. um, can kind of speak to that. And and you oftentimes see differences in uh, how a jury will um, decide on a case in one jurisdiction in one state versus you know a different state, um, and that speaks a bit to more local norms. Um, Of course, in the online context, the idea of like what is local, I think, is a lot more mixed. Like you you can't really necessarily go by like geographic locality um, as the the best way. Um, But yeah, I think these questions of like jury composition are really interesting when you get into these like online network spaces.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say that You know, you had mentioned about essentially kind of more local uh, juries made of more local users, and so for instance, I could see that you know this may be different if, for instance, you are investigating on a platform such as like Reddit, where there are sub communities, and especially on the smaller sub communities, you know, your jury pool is only so so large, so it may affect essentially kind of the amount of mistrust of peers. Um, with with regards to
2: digital juries.
0: Uh, okay, so I think I'll ask one last time if there are any questions. And um, if not, I think we can end here. Oh yes, we have one question, Aviv? Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I think it would be very interesting to see if these results were different in a community that had just run through an N10 citizen assembly process that that was like heavily publicized. So there might be cities or states, um, or like, you know, or countries where that happened. And I guess I'm, I, I'd be curious as a hypothesis of if you had just had a process that had, you know, fairly broad buy-in that was, um, covered heavily within that community that did show random people, um, uh, able to, to be effective thinkers and make good decisions. Would you hypothesize, um, that that would, Affect these results, or do you think it would not?
1: Okay, sorry. There's quite a long buildup, so, so uh, yeah. you could. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, 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 again. So, um,
5: so there are some communities around the world mm-hmm. um, where uh, citizen assemblies or deliberative polls mm-hmm. or other other mm-hmm. systems processes that um, mm-hmm. are jury-like uh, are used in a very significant way in order to to set policy. And it, it, it creates an opportunity where people can see that their fellow people are ab- able to think effectively and sort of navigate trade-offs and all that stuff. Um, and, and and good versions of those processes can help address the group think and, and so on. And so in environments where that is part of the general understanding, it seems like there might be an impact on the relative weighting on experts versus their, the, the other people who might be picked by such a process because there's an examples, there's very public examples of people being smart and intelligent and thoughtful as opposed to people being dumb and group thinky and reactive. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering, uh, like, I guess it would be really interesting to, to even pick one of those communities and say, oh, you can only only Turkers who are in like this city that just had a major process or whatever, um, like what would be the outcome uh, within, within that. And, and, and cause that, that shows a sort of direction for that, that this isn't just this is something that's actually based off of the current acculturation and sort of beliefs that might be changed with new information.
1: Yeah, I think that's very possible. So um, with regards to references to kind of off, well, we'll call it offline um, norms. I do remember there was, For instance, one respondent in the pre-response who essentially put digital juries as the least trustworthy, and they said, you know, I don't believe in digital juries because I think they're going to run into the same pitfalls that, you know, I see with regards to juries in real life. And so essentially, if you change that base kind of expectation with regards to, you know, digital, like... Um, kind of democratic um, representation and like how people are involved with the with offline um, communities. I I totally think it would change how they you know would perceive like digital juries versus um, kind of expert panels, for instance. And so this is also why um, you know when we did our study, we were very cognizant of essentially only having participants um, from the US because if you like throw in um, kind of additional variables there, it would model the results.
5: Right. Yeah. I think it'd be very interesting just to do the UK and mm-hmm. see because apparently the reputations are very different. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for the paper. And thanks for the really great tables um, uh, like of of the of the responses and the pros and cons. I really appreciated that.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: Um, so I think we're about out of time. Thank you, everyone for questions. And thank you, Christina, for a really great talk and for answering and discussing uh, all of the questions. Um, so um, we, we typically do this at the end. Um, if everyone can un- quickly unmute themselves uh, and then applaud. Uh, three, two, one. <laughs> um, I'll stick around if anyone has any last minute thoughts or questions. But thanks, everyone.
2: All right. Well, thank you.